All right. Warren G. Harding was the 29th president of the United States. And before he became president, interestingly enough, he had a very undistinguished political career. Uh, Warren Harding really didn't take many political stands. You never really knew where he stood. He gave very vague speeches. And <laughs> to be honest, truth be told, he spent most of his time drinking and chasing women. <laughs> he was like, what's, <laughs> what's the difference? But here's, here's the big but, though. <laughs> but he was tall, naturally tan, very smooth on his feet. He had an amazing baritone voice. And when people saw him, they noticed. When he walked in the room, they noticed. And they'd look at him and go, whoa, he just looks like a leader. Well, still, Harding climbed the political ranks, and he ends up running for president as an unknown. People really don't even know who he is. They've never really heard of him. They don't know where he stands on anything. But because at the political convention in that year, there were two candidates they were trying to put up and they were absolutely deadlocked and they could, neither one could get enough delegates to be able to put them as a the candidate for that year to run for president. And so they, they, they retired back to a smoke-filled room to make some deals like happens in politics. And they're like, okay, if, we, if nobody's going to give, who can we get? to run for president. And they went, hey, how about Harding? He looks like, he looks it. I mean, he's, he's good looking. Let's, let's put him up there. Sure enough, he got enough votes and he ended up going on and winning the presidency. And when they looked at him, he looked great. <laughs> and now in history, it's known as the Warren Harding error. What's that? What's the Warren Harding? Well, he looked like a president. His distinguished appearance and deep commanding voice won voters over. They unconsciously believed that good-looking people make competent leaders. And Harding's handsomeness triggered this association so powerful that it overrode the voters' ability to look below the surface. History recounts that he was one of the worst presidents in American history. He served for two years in office, had a stroke, and died. There you go. There's your history lesson for today. It's just like, I thought it was going to end happier. Like he was going to... But history proved that didn't work. And we're going to read today in the Old Testament, in the book of 1 Samuel, the exact same thing happened. They went for good looks and outward appearance, and it didn't work out very well. So we're starting this few... Uh, last month we started this series where we're working through heroes of the Bible, we're calling it. And we're looking at the lives of some incredible men and women that uh, we maybe learned about in Sunday school, maybe saw on the flannel graph. We want to dig a little bit deeper and kind of connect with who they are. You know, God's Word, the Bible, it, it is the story, right? It's the story of men and women that lived on this earth made of flesh and bone, that served God, that connected with God, that failed, that won and that lost. And the thing I love about the Bible is it tells their story, and many times it uses their own words to tell us the story and show us how to live and to show us the mistakes that can be made and to avoid them. So the last three weeks we spent on Moses. Today we're turning to David, and then we're going to work our way through 
But last week as we wrapped up Moses, if you've missed some of those messages, you can go on, you can find them online. You can go to our website uh, or you can go to our YouTube uh, uh, channel and just hit live and it'll show you those. But they're all there. But as we start David today, the author Carl Sandburg quotes this wood, woodsman's proverb when he says, a tree is best measured when it's down. And what he meant by that is when a life is down, you can really accurately measure the length of the significance, the breadth of the impact, and the depth of character. David is like this. There's more written about David, this Old Testament character, than any other Old Testament character in the New Testament. They mention him more than any other one. And he's mentioned in more chapters in the Bible than any other character not even to mention the times he was mentioned in the New Testament. But before we look into his life, let's set the, the kind of set the setting. If I was, I'm going to put up the flannel graph now, right? And I'll put up the background and I'm going to show you where he comes on the scene. The people of Israel have drifted from God. Remember Moses, when we left, we left him last week, he was leading them into the promised land. So we've skipped ahead several hundred years. They've taken over the land. They've conquered the land. They had times of peace. God would raise up judges to help them, and, and they followed God. He was their leader. But over the years, they had drifted away from him. They had really had a, a priest by the name of Eli that kind of ran the spiritual end, and, and he had had already died, his wicked sons were gone. And then God chose, you remember in the book of 1 Samuel, where we're going to be reading, he raised up Samuel as a prophet. And now he's an old man. And the people have heard stories about when God did great things for the people when they came out of Egypt and defeated the Philistines and, and the judges. And, but it's all ancient history to them now. It's all in the past. And the people were disillusioned, and they knew that Samuel wasn't going to be there that long. And the Bible actually says that Samuel's sons were not like him, and they were dishonest. So they said, okay, you're going to leave. We can't trust your sons. So the people of Israel go through a thing. They have FOMO, the fear of missing out. They're looking at other countries, and they go, hey, the Philistines have a king. Hey, the Amorites have a king. Hey, look it down. Syria has a king. We want to, we want to be like them. We want a king. That's right. I mean, that's the ticket. That's going to solve our problems. If we had a king that we could all rally behind, that would be a great thing. So they picked Warren Harding as their king. <laughs> Literally. They looked for a tall, dark, and handsome guy. His name was Saul. And he started off humble, <laughs> but he ended up thin-skinned, hot-tempered, and given to depression and even driven to murder. He was quite the guy. But he looked good. He looked good. Where? On the outside. David is born about 10 years into Saul becoming king. And he comes into the times of these circumstances. This is the world that David is born into. And think about how bad these times were with a nation adrift from God and how they've gone what they thought was the answer, and it's just made matters worse, and the king of their own choosing, it's just turned out horrible. I don't know if you've ever been there before. <laughs> when you've gotten your way, you say, God, no, I really want it this way, God. No, this is really what I need. God, this is the ticket, and it looked like it was going to work so good, and now you're standing there 
next to a broken dream or next to a thing say, why did I want this? Maybe I'm the only one that, that ever has done that. And so they had made a choice. But God had a plan. God had a plan. And he's about ready to get back to his plan. In fact, 1 Samuel 13, 13 and 14, this is Samuel speaking to then King Saul and telling him that the gig is up and it's going to change. And it says this, starting in verse 13. But Samuel said to Saul, you have acted foolishly. You see, he had sinned. He did what he knew was not right to do. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For the Lord would have established you and your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. Key phrase. And the Lord has appointed him ruler over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. So God shows us that when he's looking to use someone, a man or a woman, as a leader, he doesn't look at the obvious things that we look at. He doesn't look for the outward appeal so much. That's what we do. Do you ever think about the effects that social media is having on our culture? And I know that it's, that's an easy target because we can start, you know, yeah, it's horrible. And as you're, some of you are on Facebook right now going, uh, you know, it's all about the outward appeal, isn't it? It's all about the pose. It's all about the look. In fact, that's why so many people have what they call FOMO because they're afraid they're missing out because they're looking at your great vacation pictures doesn't matter that you guys fought all the way to wherever you got to. You said, hey, once we're here, everybody pucker. You know, and you take a shot and you got, you know, the outside, it looks good on the outside. So many people we know we're jealous of and we wish they had their life, but all we're looking at is the outside sheen of something that's really pretty thin. And this is the lesson that we see on the outside. But God is wanting to see the inside. And the contrast between what God values and what people value, really, this is the lesson, that when we judge by appearances and we choose by outward rather than considering the heart of the person. And God says, I'm going to look for someone when I choose him, when I choose her, I'm looking at the heart. I'm going to choose something, someone after my own heart. And what kind of people, you think about this, what kind of people does God choose? And what kind of people does God use? And when we're talking about using here, we're talking about using within his work, using to bless others, using to serve in, in, in his work. Well, there's a great example from the New Testament when God's talking about who he uses. And the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. So it's the book of 1 Corinthians, and he's writing to them. And the Apostle Paul has been establishing churches and raising up leaders, and he's putting them in place. And he establishes one church in one town, then goes to the next, and goes to the next. But he's dealing with a lot of people that are coming after him. He's dealing with a lot of people that keep judging him from the outside. So he's got the Jews that are judging him according to their standard, and they want miracles, they want impressive resume, they want. They want to see something, you know, obviously God on the outside. 
They're looking for a sign that this is God's man. And then he's also dealing with Greeks. And Greeks, let me just put it this way. Greeks loved a celebrity pastor, okay? Preachers and sneakers. That's who they, that's who they wanted. They wanted an impressive outward appearance. So Paul addresses this right from the beginning in the book of Corinthians. And he says, you know, I'm not coming with something that's going to impress you on the outside. I'm just coming with what God has given me to say. We started today by saying it's not in the, in the context of things that are eternal. It's not so much just the outside. It's, it's what's coming from the heart. In 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 29, I'm, I'm reading out of the message translation. It's just, it's not good. You know, I don't, I don't read it all the time, but this is, uh, this is good here. It says, take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called into this life. I didn't see many of the brightest and the best among you. Not many influential, not many high society families. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chooses men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses and chooses these nobodies to expose the hollow, hollow pretensions of the somebodies? That makes it quite clear that none of you can get by by blowing your own horn before God. Everything that we have, right thinking and right living, a clean slate and a fresh start, it comes from God by the way of Jesus Christ. So it's just kind of talking about, man, let's, we've got to get rid of this on the outside stuff. But it's human nature. And we look towards, we want people to admire. We want... We want someone we can put up and say, man, that's who, that's who he is. We do look for impressive. We want the beautiful. We want the brilliant. And that's how Warren Harding got chosen in the first place. Ultimately, an incredible disappointment. But God says that's not the way he makes his choices. He chooses the nobodies and turns them into somebodies. And that's, in essence, if I could do this like a 50-foot flyover, that's the story of David. God is going to find a person, a real person, and David will make mistakes. He's a man that is prone to difficulty, and there's no perfection in his life. He, he fumbles a lot of things. He makes some major mistakes, but isn't it interesting that God doesn't require perfection to use you? He's looking for servants that can and will be willing to be used by God. And I love this part when David comes onto the scene and into the story because right up front, God says, hey, Samuel, don't look at the outside. Let's find the right things on the inside. Let's find the right things in the inner person. Let's find the woman that really has a heart for me. Let's find a man that is willing to be what I want them to be. So there's three things that I want as we kind of introduce the life of David, there are three things that God looks for then, and he still looks for it today. And God found them in David. First of all, there was spirituality. And David has sought for himself, or the Lord has sought for himself, a man after his own heart, the scripture said. What does that mean, a person after his own heart, God's own heart? It means that his heart is in the right direction. 
How do you know when your heart is aligned with God? How do you know when your heart would be considered a heart for God? Well, first of all, you care about the things that God cares about. His priorities become your priorities. What hurts God's heart hurts your heart. And when God says, turn, you know what? You don't take 10 days, you turn. When God says, you need to pause, you're connected with him and you pause, you do it. It means that the spirit, when it brings conviction into your life, that you look in and say, yes, I need to confess that. And, and, and you're in sync with Jesus is what I'm trying to say. And it's a heart that is sensitive to the things of God. Second Chronicles 16.9 says this. You might have heard this before. For the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth so that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. That's a great question to ask. God, is, is my heart completely yours? I don't know about you, but we're great compartmentalists, aren't we? You know, women, you can do like 14 things at once and get it all done. It's amazing. And you've heard this thing about how men have boxes, right? <laughs> and we have a box for work and we have a box for play and we have a box for this. And men are the only creatures on the planet that have a nothing box where literally nothing's happening and you can just be thinking, what are you thinking about? Nothing. And the ladies think we're withholding something. <laughs> it's honestly true. We're actually thinking about nothing. But what we're talking about is a heart that is completely his. And we know this by keeping our communication open with him. And we're, trying, we're not trying to hide the real us from God. We're just saying, God, this is me. It's back to the thing we talked about last week when we talked about Moses and going to the mountain, the fear of the Lord. Remember we talked about two different types of fear. There's the servile fear. That's the fear of actually being afraid of punishment. And then there's the phileo fear that is like a family type, like a child that has tremendous respect and love for the parent and who desperately wants to please him and make him happy. And, you know, when I say spirituality, I know that the culture, especially today, has messed up that term already. They've taken it and messed it up. Because now people say, well, I'm not into religion. What do they say? I'm spiritual. <laughs> Ever heard that? Don't point any fingers. But you know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, I don't go to a church. I'm spiritual. What do they mean? Well, that just means that I'll do whatever makes me feel good. But what we're talking about here, we're talking about being spiritual in God's eyes. The quality that David had was a deep desire to please the Lord and to live a life that pointed to God. The second thing, the quality that was found in David's life was humility. Humility. 1 Samuel 16, 1, God is speaking to his prophet and he says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long are you going to mourn for Saul? Because Samuel is the one that put Saul in place because the people wanted him to. Since I have rejected him from being the king over Israel, fill your horn with oil and go, and I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, because I have chosen a king for myself among his sons. You see, God knows what he's looking for. I love this. And he's found David. And what do we see when he finds David? He finds him faithfully keeping his father's sheep. He was a shepherd. 
Every time we see that when the king calls David up, we're going to see that happen. And when the prophet comes to town and they're going to have a big blessing time, David's always out serving. He's watching the sheep. He's tending to business. He's serving his father. And so we see that he's got a, a, a servant heart, the heart of a servant. You know, God wants a character more than anything. You don't have to be the slickest. You don't have to be the brightest. You don't have to be the, the biggest. You don't have to be the one that everyone's talking about. He wants, he's more concerned about your character, who you are. And God sees this in David. He sees a servant heart. And when you have a servant's heart, let me tell you, you're humble. You're humble. God sees him faithfully tending his father's flock. He's not rebelling. He's not running around with the town kids. He's serving. He's not trying to do his own thing. He's serving. And he doesn't care who gets the credit. A person with a servant's heart has one goal. You know what that goal is? To make the person they're serving look better. A servant doesn't care who gets the glory just so the job gets done. And God sees these things in David. God sees these things in David. It's interesting. David's older brothers, they're off fighting in the army in the next scene we're going to see here. They've gone and enlisted. <clears throat> and they're the ones that go and do the national service. But David's always at home, just faithfully keeping the sheep. He's got this servant's heart. And then there's the third quality that David had, and that was integrity. Integrity. Psalm 78, 71 and 72 says, and speaking of David, from the care of the ewes with nursing lambs, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people and Israel, his inheritance. So he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them with skillful hands. And that word integrity is important because in the story of David, it's the story of God looking for a person that has these inward qualities, not that is just good looking on the outside. And I know this is countercultural, especially for us as Americans. Everything we see and we value in our culture today seems like, doesn't it look good though? And God sends Samuel to Bethlehem with this assignment. You're going to anoint the next king. And so Samuel does what you and I would do. He looks for the one that looks like a king right? When we vote somebody in to a position or when we put ourselves under someone's leadership, we want them to look the part. I mean, that gives us confidence, doesn't it? It gives us confidence because on the outside we say, well, obviously they've got something going because look, they, they can match their socks. You know, obviously he's got something going. I mean, he's six foot two for crying out loud. Had to do something right for that, right? Look at him, he, he, he walks smooth. Look at her, I mean, she can play the piano. She's got this voice that could sing. Obviously, it, it, she, she must just be like her and Jesus must just be like this. And it's the difference between what we see on the outside and what we see on the inside. And so many times I get discouraged 
in my own life because I'm the guy that gets to look at myself in the mirror. <laughs> you know, you get up every morning and hopefully, and I started with this, with an insult, says some of you look better than others. I didn't mean that. Everybody looks beautiful. But I'm sure that every person that before they let you probably check your reflection at some point. And it's this tension between what I see in the mirror and what I know is in my heart. And so more than disqualifying other people disqualifying me, it's more of the time when I struggle, this is me disqualifying myself and saying, God, how can you use me? I mean, you know what I did. You know what I thought about. But this is where we see this come out in a fresh and a beautiful way. And this is the, the essence of the story we're getting to today. In 1 Samuel 16, 6, Samuel is going on assignment. God said, hey, stop crying about Saul. He looked good, but he's a dud. <laughs> That's my translation. You know, everybody thought he looked great, but he didn't serve so well. Let's move on. And he says, I'm going to send you to Jesse, little town of Bethlehem. They're going to sing about it every Christmas. It's going to be amazing. But he's this guy, but he's got a lot of sons. So I'm going to send you there. And first of all, Samuel says, well, you know, Saul finds out about this because he is still king, you know. And he's like, hey, just the prophet's job was to go into towns and to sacrifice and everyone would come and it was quite a community event. So he said, take an animal with you and sacrifice the animal. And so when Samuel walks into the town of Bethlehem, people say, do you come in peace? Are you coming to judge us? And he says, no, we're coming to a sacrifice and make sure Jesse and his whole family are there. First Samuel 16, 6, it says, and when they entered the Jesse family, he looked at Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is standing in front of me. Look at this, Warren Harding, there he is. Oh, he's 10, he's good looking, 6'2". I bet he can sing. But the Lord said, don't look at his appearance, at his height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God does not see as man sees. Since man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass before Samuel. The Lord has not chosen this one either. And next, Samuel had Shammah pass by, and the Lord had not cho chosen him either. So Jesse had seven of his sons, and they keep passing before Samuel. Can you see this? Like, nope, <laughs> nope, nope, you know. How'd you like to be in that moment? And then Samuel says to Jesse, okay, wait a minute. You got to have one more. And he said, oh, the youngest is still left, but behold, he's tending the sheep. So Samuel says to Jesse, send word and bring him, for we will not take our place at the table until he comes here. So what is he saying in this? God is always looking for a person that has a heart for him. And God tells Samuel, this time we're gonna do this my way. God's telling Samuel, last time it was a people's choice, people's choice awards, right? I don't know if you ever watched those, but you know, the most beautiful get that, right? 
Last time is a piece, people's choice award. This time it's going to be my choice, and I'm going to measure differently. I'm not just going by the outside picture. You know, I don't know if you've ever been passed over before or looked over maybe at your job or, and there's a whole other line that we could go in here because here's the deal. David is a son and they don't even think to invite him to the party. Maybe that's your story. Maybe in your own family, you can't get any acceptance. But God sees the deeper part of you. Notice the things we talked about, spirituality, humility, integrity. Those are things you don't notice when you do a drive-by. Those aren't things that you see on social media or in family pictures. You only see those things when you have access to the heart. And notice, again, David wasn't even included with his family, but that doesn't stop God. I don't care how many people have passed you over or said you don't fit or you're not the right choice or you're not the right size. You know what? The only one that matters is God and what he says. But we don't want to get ahead of the story because God is bringing attention to a nobody that nobody noticed. <laughs> Not even those that really loved him or should have loved him and should have noticed him didn't. But he wasn't invited to the gathering, but it was his spirituality. It was hu his humility. It was his integrity that got him noticed by God. When nobody else was looking, those things were at play in his heart and his life. When nobody was looking to him as the next big thing or nobody was looking to him like, wow, you've got it. But God was looking at him and saying, I'm going to use those qualities in your life. And thousands of years later, the story is just the same. God is looking at the heart while most people are distracted by the outside. God is always looking towards your heart. And let me just flip this. A lot of times we can try to fake it till we make it and just say, well, it doesn't matter what's going on, on the inside of my life. That's nobody's business but my own, you know, but I'll just show up and suit up and God doesn't care what the outside looks like. He cares what's happening in your heart. Some of you are involved in things right now that you know is dividing your heart. You know it's doing damage to your heart. But you're keeping the outside looking good so nobody really notices. But guess what? People aren't supposed to notice. God says this. Hey, people are always going to look at the outside. But God sees. And he knows and he cares. And he's the one that will come and say, you know what? I don't care what everybody else says. I care about your heart. I want your heart to be whole. There's things in your life I don't want you involved in because I care about your heart. I care about the integrity of the person you are. It does matter. It does matter. And I know if you've ever wanted to be used by God and you want to see those ha things happen in your life, I mean, things you're praying for, 
things in your business, things in your family. God, God sees those desires in your heart. One place in the Bible it says that God knows what you need even before you speak it. Why? Because he knows the internal things, the internal things. And I, I think there's a couple things we need to consider today as we introduce this person of David. It's, again, it's how we look at ourselves, first of all. Too many times we're comparing our status with those that are impressive. And we get in our minds the kind of people that should we should look like or look the part, right? And what we see with David is God says, you know what? I, I will use anyone that I choose to use. I will use anyone and I don't care your story. I don't care your record. I don't care what you've done and who you've done it with because once you get your heart right with me, I will use you. Don't disqualify yourself because God doesn't disqualify you. When you bring your broken, messed up, smashed up pottery, God just rubs his hand together. Ooh, I'm going to do something great with this. You just watch. I don't say we continue to do those things. That's when we come and say, yeah, but I've busted this up. But God says, yeah, but I can put it back together. Second thing is how we see others. I think as Christ followers and the church, we should be the most accepting, inviting people on the planet. And sometimes we're the most judgmental and have the bar set so high that we shouldn't even be here. You know where Jesus took his biggest criticism when he was walking over the earth? You read the gospels. Where did he take his biggest criticism? It was when he hung out with the wrong people. <laughs> he didn't hang out with church people back then. And I know we weren't there. I'm sure he would have hung out with us. As Christ followers, I think we're often more judging who is disqualified or we assume what's going on on the outside. What if we begin to look, <laughs> what if we begin to look for shepherds that could be kings? What if we saw a waitress that had the potential of being an incredible woman of God? What if we saw that problem child as a leader in the making? I've got a couple grandkids and they will burn the house down if you're not watching. And their moms get discouraged sometimes. I don't have to get discouraged. I just give them sugar and send them home, right? But here's what I tell my girls. They're gonna be an incredible leader. You see all that orneriness? <laughs> you see all that spitfire? You see that? Yeah, it's going to get them in trouble. But when God gets a hold of their heart, look out. Look out. God specializes in qualifying the unqualified. He specializes in using what the world has discounted. And he says, you know what? I'm, I can and I will use them the most. How would that change if we just took and assimilated what we've talked about today? How would that change about how you see yourself?
maybe as importantly, how would that change how you see others? Because Jesus was known for accepting the people that the religious people wouldn't accept. And I know you're already thinking of all that. Well, what about, what about this life? You know what? Jesus is big enough to handle. He just asks us to love one another. And when I look at David's life, I'm encouraged in a couple ways. I'm encouraged because God uses those that maybe other people have forgotten. I love that. And it shows me that through all his mistakes, God still said, you know what? I love your heart and I'm going to use your heart and I'm going to connect with your heart. And I hope that is something you can take from today. As we draw from God's word, these men and women of flesh and blood and say, God, if you did it then, you can do it now. If you accepted him, if you used her, (laughs) you can use me. Would you pray with me today? Jesus, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for what we see in the life of David. And I know we've just kind of done a 100-foot flyover, and we really haven't got into the weeds of some of the stuff that happened in his life, but just the initial connection that you had with him and his family and with Samuel the prophet and this incredible statement that you make that it's not about the outside, it's about the inside. If there's one thing we can take from today, I pray that we would walk away with that, not only for our own lives, but how we see other people, that we might be more willing to embrace and ask God to work from the inside out, that we'd be more willing to look at ourselves and say, God, even though I don't see it, you said you would use me and trust God's word over what we see. And I pray for every man and woman and young person in the room right now as they would just take a moment and listen to your voice. And would you just speak to them? Holy Spirit, we've invited you to be in this room. Would you just speak that word of encouragement to hearts and minds right now? Maybe words of acceptance, maybe words of dusting off old callings because he's coming back saying, yes, I still can use you. Yes. I love you exactly the way you are, but I love you too much to leave you that way. Come on, let's, let's go again. Let's, <clears throat> let's do what you dreamed about doing with me. It's not too late. God, would you just speak those words into our hearts and our minds right now? If you don't have a relationship with Jesus today, we always want to give you that opportunity because I think what you're seeing here in this is really a reflection of who Jesus is. And he's, he wants to accept you. He wants to embrace you. The Bible says, if you bring your life to him and give it over to him, he is faithful to accept you. And yeah, we've got to give up some stuff, like all the junk. <laughs> so a simple prayer like, Jesus, forgive me for the mistakes I've made, for the stuff that I knew, and maybe for the stuff I didn't know. But God, forgive me. I want you to be my leader and my friend. A prayer like that, God says he will be there with you. doesn't mean that all your problems go away. More importantly, it means that you'll never be alone because he's going to walk with you. And if you make that decision today, whether watching online or in this room, man, I encourage you so much to let somebody know about that decision, somebody that you trust. And if you don't have somebody immediately in your life, let us know. Write it on a card. Stick it in the 
bucket on the way out. Talk to the host right now. Let them know you've made a decision. And as a local body, we come around you and we help you take the next steps. Father, thank you that we can draw from your word and walk it tomorrow. In fact, we can walk it this afternoon and we could put it into our lives and see it work today, right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Wow, it's, I'm, I've been encouraged. I'm loving this. And uh, I, hope, I hope you're enjoying it too. Those of you who are watching online, thank you so much for being with us today. Would you stand with me today? We have a prayer wall right over here to the left-hand side of the room. The host is still online. If you have a prayer request online, let them know we want to be praying for you. We have prayer teams. We've got prayer chains. <laughs> we'll get after it in prayer. And speaking of prayer... Uh, you're, the, the, the prayer wall is open. There'll be people there that love Jesus and pray with you. But six o'clock tonight, it's not going to be another service to where we're going to uh, preach another message. No, it's going to be worship and prayer. We're going to be praying for needs. You know, the first of the year I wrote, maybe you do the same thing. I wrote down some things, just some prayer lines that I prayed for. Some of us did a 21-day fast. And I just prayed over those things during those 21 days. And I've kind of gotten a little stubborn with it. And I just said, okay, uh, the Bible says that if I ask and if I seek and if I knock and if I keep asking and keep seeking and keep knocking. And he even gives an illustration of some woman that was so obnoxious that finally the, 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 the judge said, give her what she wants because she's driving me crazy. I said, God, and it's not a man and woman thing, but I said, guess what? I'm going to stick with this prayer list until I drive you crazy because I want you to answer these needs in my life. And so I'm looking forward tonight because it gives me another opportunity just to come into a space in a room and allow the worship to flow and just get in an altar. We got altars, get it a chair, get it a space and just say, God, uh, it's me again. Knock, 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 rap, 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 annoy you until you answer my prayer. <laughs> I know that's kind of a weird thing. Don't listen to that. Just hear what I'm saying. Keep asking. And this is an opportunity. I don't know. There's not enough space in our lives where we can just come into a dedicated room that's just about worship and prayer and just give it to God again. So I want to invite you tonight. That's my pitch for tonight. I'll be here. The worship team will be here. And if you want to let me get all the juice, go ahead, but come join. It's going to be at six o'clock tonight. Until I see you again, I pray that God would bless you and keep you. I pray that God would turn his face towards you and shine his countenance on your life. And aren't you glad that God doesn't just choose the pretty people to love on in Jesus name. Amen.